So we're going to begin, we, we went to CI, to the Law Conservation Fund, and request and present them a case where we are going to begin a pilot project to pay for jaguar conservation, for presence of endangered trees and endangered uh, orchids, the three of them. We are doing the survey of endangered trees. We already have the information of orchids. Where we're going to put everything together, and probably in six months, we're going to begin the pilot case there. We are, in this case, subsidizes with the Global Conservation Fund that payment, but at the same time, we're going to begin. We already know there's a lot of lodges and operators here that use it, the Jaguar or the endangered orchid as the main source of attraction of tourism today. And we're talking to them, there's a will to pay by them because they understand very clearly that the, the, you know, they live out of the forest and lives. So this is a very interesting case we're working with. So we got into what we call the second generation of environmental service. The first generation does this. We measure during the article, we measure that the first generation does these things. And we know that uh, that uh, by by protecting the forest we can you know alleviate poverty. And what we want to do with the second generation is to really do this, a little bit of this. Uh, we began to work with other uh, social agencies in the, in, from the central government, and when I remember a meeting with the agencies that are in charge of poverty alleviation, you know, it's very interesting. Most of our countries, when you talk about poverty alleviation, you have a group of agencies, all of them working together, putting money in alleviate poverty. But when you talk about environment, it's just one small, tiny, under-budget agency. That's the situation I was mentioning at the beginning. Well, we, we, I was invited because I request a meeting with the a agencies in charge of the social care in Costa Rica. And I told them we were putting $14 million a year in the poorest areas of Costa Rica. And they got really mad with us because how come they were uh, they never knew that we were putting through the payment of environmental service so much money in rural communities without them even being informed. They even didn't have that as an indicator for you know, uh, poverty alleviation. So from that day on, formally, the Ministry of Environment in Costa Rica to the payment of environmental service is within the, the effort of um, alleviating poverty in rural communities. So um, we began, and I'm going to finish in probably five minutes, I hope so. And <laughs> uh, we began through the second generation of payment of environmental service to draft a eco market tool. Remember, we did that eco market one for fifty million dollars. We ended it in two thousand and five. So we've been negotiating with the World Bank, which is our loan uh, source, uh, a new project this time for seventy million dollars. And you know, uh, I I was lucky enough to go to the Minister of Finance, now not as Vice Minister, but as Minister, because I was Vice Minister in the government that was 98-2002, I was Minister from 2002 to 2006. So I went to the Minister of Finance for his support for a $35 million loan for the World Bank for Eco Market too. So since my previous um, experience with the Minister of Finance was quite dramatical, I, I went real prepared, and I made, and I went with this presentation, which is a lovely presentation, a lot of numbers and a lot of things. 
And in the just at the beginning of the of the presentation, the minister stood up and he said, Carlos Manuel, stop right now. You know, I was afraid, I was expecting the worst. You know, you don't need to explain me more about that. And I even went, you know, I said, my goodness, I'm in trouble. He said, you don't need to explain me more about that because my farm is within the program of payment over governmental services. The Minister of Finance, for me, the most uh, clever economist in the country, Minister of Finance, uh, has his farm in the payment over governmental services. Probably, well, that's basically because he loves nature, or probably that was an economic-wise decision he took. You know, that day also it was very interesting for me because we, I come to realize that we've been able to really mainstream this problem within every single level of our society. Now, this is the national park, this is the rural landscape. We are going to begin to pay environmental services to every single land use that does generate an environmental service. That's our goal in the next five years. So if you have a shade coffin, you're going to be paid for those environmental services that that land use gives you. And by that, we're keeping you know, biomass, fixing carbon. We're going to keep those corridors for wildlife. We're going to produce water to this river that goes down here and goes and, re and produces hydro energy or drinking water to somebody. We're going to, uh, we're going to pay environmental services for life fences in the car ranch and other activities, and we're going to promote better uh, land uses according to our environmental criteria. So, if you remember the striptease of Costa Rica, by 87, it only, it only had 21% uh, of the country with forest. Look what happened to 97. Yeah. Ten years after, we increased it to uh, 42%. Uh, in 2000, we increased it to 45%. And the latest one is 2005. I don't have the whole image of Costa Rica because it hasn't been processed. But for 2005, we may say that we have 52% of the country with force. This is uh, the tropical rice uh, area of Costa Rica. This is uh, Santa Rosa National Park in those areas, tropical dry forest. This is dry season and this is wet season. But let me show you that same area in 86. This is 86, 2000, and 2005. And this area, and this one, and this area is the cattle ranching area for, for excellence. We've been restoring those lands in every single part of the country. I won't say it is the payment of environmental services that the one who have done that. Because if you take the map of where we pay environmental services and you put the map of those lands that are being restored, you only will, you get to the conclusion that we only pay, we have only paid 30% of those lands. So there's another bunch of elements there that has played a big part of this. And I think that the most important a benefit was changing all those uh, government policies that were oriented to land use changes. Because we began, we, we began a process to educate and generate information to decision makers that forced the land are quite, are quite productive. The interesting aspect here in this area is that we are not competing with agriculture or cattle ranching at all. We're not competing with them because those other land uses are way more productive than receiving a payment of environmental service here. Most of this land is hills, rough terrain. 
Uh, very little is low lands, which are very good for agriculture, especially. And here we're not competing, we're really complementing. And I think this is a, very, a good example of, you know, uh, on-planned land use planning, if I can say so. So we have done a lot of things uh, to evaluate there, because now we want to understand what are the reasons, the underlying reason of uh, afforestation. We did a lot of effort in understanding the underlying reason of deforestation. We now want to know why we've been able to restore those lands, because if we, if we see something being changed, one piece being changed in that equation, we need to react to really complement it and stop whatever negative um, result we may have. So um, we've been able to restore the country. We uh, probably the quality of those forests are not good at this moment. Probably those who have a lot of experience in tropical restoration understand that this is a long-term process. But we've been able to restore lands. The quality of both forests in biodiversity terms are quite low at this moment compared to the, to the pristine forests. But eventually, those forests are going to be, I hope so, quite uh, healthy in biodiversity terms as the rest of them. The important thing here, and this is uh, for if we need to, to fix this, 2005, which is our latest uh, study, 52%. The important thing here, it can be restored. And the coaches can do it. And uh, I have uh, taken a lot of uh, decision makers in Costa Rica to see this process. I will never ever forget the day I took the Minister of Gabon and Congo to Costa Rica. And we went to the field for three full days. And we were at the end, the last day, you know, thinking about what we just saw. The Minister of Congo said, this is fabulous. I want to do the same thing in Congo. What do I need to do? Well, I didn't have an answer for that. You know, it's very complex. You know, the first thing that came into my mind was telling him, you know, political stability. Yeah, that's the most important thing. <laughs> Governance. Yeah. He has told me he has been minister for 12 years because there's no change of government and the president has been in power for 25 years there. And, you know, he was impressed that I was telling him that I had a due date as a minister. That I knew the day I was not going to be a minister because there was an election and a change of government and a new minister was going to come. And I told him, you know, political stability, and, that's me, and that doesn't mean that you don't, shouldn't have a civil war. That's something out, out of any doubt. You need to have governance, good institutions, when a government, a change of government, I mean, when a government changes, not everybody changes. In Costa Rica, in the Ministry of Environment, there's around uh, 1,300 people. When the government changes, basically three people change the minister, the vice minister, and the, ex and the administrator of the institution. Probably people are moved around from here to there, but they, don't, they are not fired. The institution kept their resource and their memory. In most of the countries, everybody changes, for whatever reason. Costa Rica has been a country that has abolished the army uh, almost 60 years ago uh, because we never had a formal army, we never had a war with any single country because we were so poor and isolated in our region. And that is, is a unique case because we, we develop a society that do believe in peaceful ways to resolve conflicts. And I don't, and I don't mean by this that uh, every single other country in the world should do the same thing. It's just a historical element that gave us excellent conditions. When I was uh, in my 20s, in the 80s, uh, all of the Central America was in civil war because, uh, because the Cold War 
uh, was fought in Central America, not in the U.S. or in Russia. And uh, that was basically because there were a lot of social conditions for that uh, um, belly conflict over there in the region. And in Costa Rica, well, the rest of Central America was in war. We were making national parks because our social system and the investment we have done in the human resource was avoiding those uh, ideological and social confrontations that was typical in the rest of Latin America. So I told that those ministers, you know, my, my recommendation is, you know, you know um, political stability and began to invest and expect that you eventually will see some positive results at the turn of the 25 years. He was really unhappy when I told him that that, that was what I, you know, think was proper because he wanted to, you know, to bring a lot of ecotourism and five years changing. And I said, no, no, you need to put your foot on the ground or feet in the, in the ground and realize that this is a long, long-term effort. So, I know this is quite unperfect, the payment of environmental services, and you are going to find out this is very unperfect in academic and theoretical terms. But for me, it is political viable, it's socially acceptable, and environmentally friendly. And this is something very important for us. We do a learning by doing process. The objective is not the payment of environmental services. The objective is to comply with our national policy of protecting biodiversity and stopping deforestation. And we use whatever instrument we found out that is good and give us a win-win situation. So I thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be here. There's a lot of very bad things in Costa Rica going on. Don't, don't think that this is the you know X-ray of our environmental condition. Our footprint is really high especially in water and pollution, solid waste pollution, because we never thought that uh, our priority was, our, our, our environmental challenge was in rural Costa Rica. All of a sudden, Costa Rica become a urban nation. Most of the people live in cities, and we never designed the agencies and the environmental solution for those uh, pollution problems. And we were uh, caught on guard to deal with those things. Now we're dealing with water pollution, solid waste pollution, a little bit of uh, air uh, uh, pollution, and yeah, we have a, a major problem there. It's gonna take us 30 years at least, I believe, to you know clean up that big mess that we have done. But I feel that now we have you know instruments, we have people, we have institutions, we have you know a lot of people helping out in what we call the green agenda, and we want to, you know put our major attention in the brown agenda in urban Costa Rica where we have quite a big mess. So, thank you. something that, that should be an inspiration for the whole world. And thank you, Carlos. This is wonderful. We are privileged to hear you recount all this. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting in the of your ministers from Gabon and Congo and how this model for some variant of it can be exported to other countries, but there's some preconditions that have to be met. But one of them is political stability. Uh, another is 
receptivity on the part of the finance minister uh, and other, other uh, people from other sectors. And, and uh, still another one is the enormous technical capability that lies behind which, what you've been able to do. Um, a lot of countries just don't have the technical to, to I agree with you, John. This is quite unique for a country that has been investing in our richest resource, which is a human resource. And, um, and stability and institutionality, but above all, Costa Rica is a country that has invested a lot in, in values, mm -hmm. real strong values. I mean, we've been investing in democracy, in, in civil rights, in tolerance, and now conservation. And every single guy in Costa Rica does has a commitment to the environment one way or another because uh, they've been, you know, there's now a generation that were, was educated in public schools. There was a small course in environmental education in every single public school in Costa Rica, good or bad. They, we have uh, planned a good seed there. But when you see Gabon, Congo, whatever other tropical nation, I mean, I, I, got, I, I, I got overwhelmed by the dimension of the task that they do have ahead because you know they, they are eager to have quick solutions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this this is not a matter of quick solutions at all. And, and I travel a lot and I've been uh, uh, making some proposals to work in some specific countries to develop some capacity uh, uh, to create conditions in order to implement market-oriented instruments as an alternative to the uh, to the business as usual thing that they have over there. And when I go and assess those conditions, because now I have designed a methodology to assess, you know, national capacity, human resources, uh, scientific information, economic information, and I get really, you know, uh, concerned that there's so much to do at the baseline level that uh, it's gonna take us a lot of time, and we are running out of time because, because in a way, I see in some countries you know, political will, but that will is not going to last long if we don't come up with solutions. And solutions that generates uh, benefit to, to the expected uh, economic growth or, or increase in social welfare. So I think that uh, it's going to take us a lot of time to move ahead. But I think that uh, we need to begin one way or another this process. It's not just by paying environmental service, building institutions, setting policies in place, and training people, especially training people. But I see uh, uh, good conditions here and there. Uh, Brazil, Mexico are two excellent places, Guatemala, uh, and all Latin America, especially where I'm working. And the thing is that uh, there's some other thing here, and, and people tend to think that the objective is developing a payment for environmental services, and they are wrong. The payment for environmental services is just an instrument. Mm -hmm. The one we choose in Costa Rica, and have been you know, quite successful, but that's the one we choose there. There's a lot of options there. Uh, and uh, the most important thing is not just designing the instrument, but defining the policy. And by defining the policy, I don't mean a strong minister of environment in imposing other ministers there. It's a national process. And again, when, when we talk about environment or environmental policies at the government level, we all tend to see uh, the Minister of uh, Environment thinking that he's responsible. Well, for me, it's the whole government that's responsible. When we talk about social causes and poverty alleviation, we don't see the Minister of Social Things as the only one responsible. It's the whole government. 
Same thing with the with the economic policies. Not just one guy in the government; it's a group of agencies. So the same thing should be done with environment. We need to mainstream and upscale the environmental agenda by set, by educating decision makers, generating information, and I think that that's a major, major challenge that everybody must uh, comply with. Everybody. Uh, Don Carlos, uh, you show in the last slide uh, three pictures of four scores. One from uh, 1987, uh, the other one is uh, 87, and the other one is 2000. And the first picture of 1987 is, this, is the year where this program started, right? So we, co we can say that the, the, the deforestation trend in Costa Rica started way before the program. I just sure. So do you think that right now Costa Rica have enough like scientific evidence that can tell you, for example, if that picture in 2000 is a direct consequence of the problem? Well, as I said, uh, we don't have that information. We have some speculations. Uh, we know for sure that the payment for environmental services is not the responsible for it. It's the one who has increased the pace and probably consolidate the process. I believe so. I believe that uh, we began turning the rate of deforestation and becoming a positive rate of afforestation when we uh, began changing those uh, perverse subsidies and policies into something positive and began subsidizing tree plantations and forestry activities, by, by especially by taking those uh, perverse uh, incentives. And we stopped it and we began to repair the process. Then came the payment for environmental services, which has been quite uh, successful. But again, if you take the farms, the map with the farms where we pay, and the map of the restored area, we can only uh, say, we, got to, we can get to the conclusion that only 30% of those restored lands were being paid for environmental services. Because you can, you can be paid for environmental service, for conservation, even though if you don't own a forest, just the will to convert your land from something else into forest, into a natural regeneration process. <coughs> Any more questions? Muchas gracias. Oh, no. oh. Sorry. Um, it's my understanding that more and more Americans and foreigners are buying land in Costa Rica. Um, do you think that's like a challenge to your program, or is it actually? Well, I think it is. It is a challenge to the country. Not that more Americans are investing there. You know, there are more American U.S. citizens living in Costa Rica than Costa Rican humans in the U.S. It's a big pressure of uh, development in the coastal areas. Uh, in some nearby areas of national park. So I think that uh, in rural Costa Rica, the challenge is not anymore deforestation or because of the expansion of the agricultural frontier. Now it's development, uh, real estate development. There's a lot of real estate development and the country hasn't been able to react properly. And as a matter of fact, some agencies, especially the tourist agencies, sees this as progress. And again, we have that same old confrontation of you know those guys being quite blind not to see the side effect of that kind of developments, especially real estate development in coastal areas where you know now 80 82 percent of the coastal areas are owned by Europeans and North Americans, not Costa Ricans. And I don't care about that because our constitution is quite open. We are in a very liberal and open country. We don't care about those things. But there's you know some kind of prejudice uh, feeling there. Uh, but my really concern is that uh, the 
people are, are, are developing lands there because they want to make the best out of this green image of Costa Rica. Uh, probably some developers are really used to do developments in the Caribbean, Mexico, and Florida. You know, this uh, big, uh, big development based on you know not so sustainable things there. So they want to do something uh, environmentally sound. They don't know how to do it. They know how to do the you know traditional beach and swamp investment. And we are really concerned there. The Ministry of, of uh, Tourism measured their success based on the amount of new rooms per year in new hotels rather than you know trying to to set other uh, ways to measure success. I think that the country should not be promoting more investment in Costa Rica rather than trying to get to some specific uh, high-level sector so we can make the best out of our business. But uh, it is a very uh, complicated discussion now going on in Costa Rica. And, you know, we have the same confrontation we did have 20 years ago within cover ranching and forest conservation. Now it's becoming you know, development in forest conservation. And I think there's very similar things here over there in, in the Northeast uh, US. In every coastal area in the US probably has a big pressure for development by people who just want to make it be a quick buck out of it. Okay, muchas gracias a todos.